0: Well, let's get into to God's word. Um, I'm doing the unthinkable. I will be, after seeing uh, what you've been doing, the Psalms of summer, uh, I decided to do something unconventional and I decided to give you all the Psalms. Well, sort of. You know, at New Divine, we are, we're currently giving an overview of every Old Testament book and it started last summer. And so recently I was tasked to, to give Job and Psalms back-to-back, if you can imagine, give an overview of Job and Psalms back-to-back, you know, Sunday, two Sundays in a row, in about 2,500 words or less, with translation, believe it or not. And so um, I would say just exercise grace for me as I try to get through all the Psalms But I think it will be fitting for us today, uh, fitting for our lives as we think through the psalms, as you guys have gone through the psalms this past summer. Um, On another note, every psalm that I touch upon today is a psalm that I believe I preached at Gateway. So if you want to hear more about a particular psalm I talk about, you could go into the archives and pull it up there. Well, as I mentioned, I'm going to attempt to give an overview of this massive book, we will not go through every single psalm. Otherwise, we won't get done until Jesus returns. But let me warn you, I'll probably not get to your favorite psalm. So I apologize in advance, okay? Well, there's a scene in the movie Forrest Gump came out years ago uh, where Forrest is sitting on a bench with a box of chocolates on his lap. It's a fa- very famous scene. And he says this famous line life is like a box of chocolates you never know what you're going to get well as I was studying through the psalms I thought about that line because the psalms are like a box of chocolates you never know what you're going to get the psalms there's some long and short psalms there's some bitter and dark psalms and there's some very very sweet psalms just like little pieces of chocolate in moderation, though, all the Psalms are good for the soul. And so I think we desperately need the Psalms in our life right now. But it has it been said already, did you know the Psalter is the most quoted book in the New Testament? Did you know Jesus quoted from the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book? Martin Luther, the German reformer, His favorite books were the Psalms and Romans. This is what Luther has to say about the Psalms. He says, the book of Psalms lays bare the hearts and inmost treasures of the soul. Some would say, scholars would say, suggest that Luther was actually saved while studying the Psalms and Romans together. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century minister from London, he preached and wrote on the Psalms for over 20 years. His magnum opus is his work on the psalms. I'm sure many of us have pulled it up or have read it, bits and pieces of it. John Calvin, the reformer from Geneva, says this about the psalms. He says the psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Calvin continues and says this, the psalms are like a mirror into our hearts. It reflects our griefs, sorrows, Fears, doubts, hopes, cares. In short, all of our emotions are in this one book. Tim Keller on his devotion on the Psalms, he says this, every situation in life is represented in the book of Psalms. And the Psalms help us see God. The Psalms help us See God. Isn't that what we desire as God's people? For God to be present in our lives? Believers often say things like, man, I I just want to see God. Or if I could just hear from him, things would be so much better. Well, we turn to the Psalms. And the hope is that we're able to see God through the Psalms today, albeit briefly. And in looking at the Psalms, that we're able to see our own hearts, to see our own emotions and what we go through, to see our own weaknesses. Maybe for some of us, we're able able to see the big picture of God's story intertwined with his people back then. And just maybe understand how God is weaving his ways in our story of life. So let me just read for us, just our scripture reading today. we to read from Psalm chapter 1 and also the last Psalm, Psalm 150 verse 6. Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Well, Father, we we need your spirit in order to see you. And so we ask, Father, that your spirit will do super parts now. We pray that it will come alive as we just look at the Psalms as a whole and that you will do a work in our hearts. Lord, humble my spirit as I speak to your people through a Gateway. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't heard it already, the book of Psalms or the Psalter is the largest book of the Bible. It's composed of 150 chapters, <clears throat> which includes Hebrew songs, poems, and prayers, all spread out through Israel's history. The most well-known author is, take a wild guess, is David, King David. There are other authors as well, in addition to David. You have Asaph, you have the sons of Korah, you have Haman and Ethan, uh, you have Solomon, and you have Moses. Uh, you would say there's probably 49 anonymous authors, give or take. The oldest psalm recorded was most likely Psalm 90. That's my favorite psalm. I was really tempted to preach Psalm 90, but I already preached it here two times. Um, maybe I'll preach it in a couple of years. And so Psalm 90 would take us back to 1480 B.C. when Moses penned the psalm. And so the psalms cover over a thousand years in Israel's history. Scholars suggest that Ezra was probably the one that arranged the psalms. He, along with Nehemiah, led the people out of exile into Judah. And I think it's fitting that Ezra organized the Psalms. Ezra was a scribe and priest uh, whom this church uh, briefly, uh, briefly studied in the book of Nehemiah years ago, if you guys remember. And so I, I just could just imagine Ezra preparing God's people for the long journey ahead as he was organizing these Psalms. And so he gathered these poems, these songs, these prayers. And so the, the Psalter, along They encourage them along their journey, singing and praising the Lord with these songs. Now, my outline is actually based on the design of the Psalms. The Psalms are composed of five books in our English and I would say in our German Bibles. If I was in Vienna, it actually tells us how the five books are separated. And I believe every book within the Psalter gives us a theme. It takes us on a journey through life. That's why I titled my sermon a Songbook for life. Because we could turn there. And we could sing these Psalms. We could be reminded of these Psalms throughout our lives. The Psalms is for all of life. No matter what you're going through this morning. So 150 chapters seven plus authors, five books within the Psalter, five major themes that we'll look at today. One God, worthy of our praise and worship. Let's get started started with book one, chapters one to 41. Book one in the psalm offers us the theme of suffering, and so suffering sets the tone for book one. Some would say that chapters one and two are not part of book one, But Psalms 1 and 2 basically introduce the Psalms for us, really a gateway to the rest of the Psalms. In fact, it introduces life for us, if you think about it. It talks about how there are two ways to live. We can live a righteous life, one who loves God and his word, or we can follow the path of the wicked. I think Psalm 1 sets up life's path for the believer because the righteous life is not easy. I think this is where Ezra was going as he was piecing book one together. He knew God's people would face all sorts of obstacles and enemies, preparing them for life, preparing them for suffering. Moving on, we get into Psalm 3, and we're introduced to David's, David's pain as he was running from his son Absalom. Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now, isn't that something? Psalm 1 says the blessed find salvation in God. But the wicked chasing David are saying, there is no salvation in God. And so that's the tension in our hearts today. Where do we find our salvation? You see, David's heart is out there for all of us to see in book one of the Psalms. And so it's not hard for us to sense his pain and suffering, his fear and anxieties. You fast forward to Psalm 13, and we get to the question we're all too familiar with in this life How long, O oh Lord? How long? David is saying, it seems like you've forgotten me, God. Similar to, to Job, book one in the Psalter is for the sufferer. It's a reminder that it's okay to call out to God with all of our emotions and feelings. To ask why or what's happening. I know you guys went through the book of Job. I think I counted. You guys went through 23 sermons on Job. David, at various times in his life, felt like he was abandoned by God as well. That takes us to Psalm 22, verse 1. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words sound familiar? You know who else felt the pain of separation in his life, just like David? It's Jesus. Although Psalm 22 was attributed to King David, it points to the greater king, the king who innocently suffered, the king who would die on the cross for humanity. And so on the cross, Jesus experienced what the wicked in Psalm 1 deserved. I'll talk more about this later. You see, Psalm 22 is a reminder that in the king's darkest moment, he actually draws closer to God. Not away from God. He draws closer to God. Therefore, book one of the Psalter shows us that suffering will either draw you away from God or draw you closer to God. Maybe you're experiencing both right now. Maybe the suffering you've experienced has drawn you away from God. But see, here's what God does. Look at the next psalm over, Psalm 23. Because God deals ever so gently with the suffering saint. Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For who? For God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. God deals gently with the suffering saint. He doesn't just leave him there. He comforts the suffering saint. Book one prepares God's people for a life that includes suffering. Before we conclude our time in book one, I want us to notice how the book ends in chapter 41 because it's, it's a similar ending you'll find in all five books. Psalm 41 verse 13 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And amen, it gives closure. You must move on, but remember what I just said. Suffering can either draw you away from God or closer to God. Well, as we move to book two, it seems as if the Psalms are drawing us closer to God. In book two, it includes chapters 42 to 72. And the theme, I found, is a hunger for God or searching for God. Look at the image in Psalm 42, verses one and two: "As a deer pants for flowing stream, so my so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God?" You know, studies reveal the writer is going through what we could consider spiritual depression. Now, I want to be clear, as I mentioned the word, when I mentioned the word depression, I don't want to take that lightly. This is not referring to clinical depression, but more, but more so a condition of internal and external pain surrounding the life of the believer. To put it plainly, he's going through the darkness, going through darkness in his life. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book on Psalms 42 and 43. It was entitled Spiritual Depression. And he labels the psalmist's experience here in, in chapter 42 and 43. He labels his experience this way. He calls it the dark night of the soul. So this is a lesson. While the psalmist suffers, he still longs for God. He looks to God. He hungers for God. It's what keeps him going. And so there are three identical refrains in Psalms 42 and 43. And I'll read it here now. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Three times the psalmist says this. Lloyd-Jones would say that this psalmist isn't just randomly calling out to God, but he's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself. He's reminding himself only God can satisfy him. So the reminder in book two is that if you try to fill your thirst or your hunger with anything else in this world, you will never be satisfied. We often tend to look at other things, search for other things that will satisfy us in this world. Most often than not, we realize that that these things only give us temporary satisfaction. And we're back to to a place of despair. You see, what the psalmist in, in, in 42 and 43 find out is that when you come to a place of despair and loneliness, again, it's only God that can satisfy you. Let's continue. Psalm 51, David is broken over his sins, but he seeks, he, search, he seeks renewal and refreshment in God. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, it says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, this is David, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Psalms 54 through 60 give us calls of deliverance. Psalm 72 was penned by Solomon. The one who hungered and thirsted for God, but forgot about him again and again. Solomon was the one who had all the riches, but in the end, he figured out it was all meaningless. Because God was everything. So book two closes with various saints thirsting, searching for God. Then we open up book three with Asaph. Asaph. Book three sort of uh, feels similar to the past two books. You have suffering, you have seeking, and you have trusting. Trusting in God's promises, waiting patiently for God. In book 3, in all the Psalms, there's a lot of lament. There's judgment. But I think it gets a little better as we go on. You see, book 3, as I mentioned, opens with chapter 73 where we find Asaph. Asaph was a musician from the tribe of Levi. Basically, he was one of the worship leaders during his time. And so he sets the tone for book 3. He makes this statement in in Psalm 73, verses 1 and 2. He says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's the blessed person. But as for me, this is Asaph, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. You see, Asaph knew God was good. But he saw the wicked prospering in his world. And he didn't know what to make of it. And so we see Asaph's honesty. He was envious. He saw the good life of the world. He saw the injustice going on. But Yesaph was patient. And he remembered God's love again and again, trusting in the promises of God. And so he remembered God's covenant love with his people, which is a testimony to God's patience with his people. That's a recurring topic throughout the Psalter as well. God's has said love, his loyal love. God's promised to his people that they will one day be saved and delivered eternally. And Israel's trust in God is shown by waiting on God time and time again. And God will come through again and again because he was loyal to Israel. Therefore, we are to remain patient, trusting in God and his promises. Because Asaph did. He remembered God's steadfast love. Instead of trusting in in the ways of the world and of man, Asaph trusted in God. And you know how Asaph came to trusting in God? You see, something clicked. If you read uh, further in, in Psalm 73, something clicked in his mind and in his heart. And so he went, into, he went to worship God in the temple. And it says in verses 16 and 17, sorry, this is not up here, but it says this, it says, but, this is Asaph, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Verse 17 of chapter 73, this is Asaph, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He went into into the worship. He went to the temple. And then his eyes were open. He's like, man, I saw God. Nothing else mattered in this world. He said, look, my contentment isn't God. I'm going to trust in God and his promises. After Asaph was sort of wrestling with God, he came to the conclusion that God is everything and that trusting in God is worth it. That's such a theme in the Psalms, isn't it? At the end of 73, it says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Book three ends with Ethan's praise of God's steadfast love, his steadfast, his said love Psalm eighty-nine, verse one: I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Last verse in eighty-nine, fifty-two: Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen, and amen. Well, that takes us to book four. This here's where I think it takes a great turn. The theme is hope, being. In God. Book 4 opens with Psalm 90. And I had to get to Psalm 90 because it's my favorite Psalm. I feel like Psalm 90 is here for a reason, obviously. I mean, you want to offer hope to God's people, have the people look back to Israel's history and one of its greatest leaders so that God's people can move forward on their journey ahead. And here you will find Moses who penned this psalm. We can learn, we can learn much of Moses' life, from Moses' life. He was someone who trusted in God many times over. I Me, mean, he had to. But it took him a long time to trust in God, to finally trust in God. James Montgomery Boyce, he wrote a book entitled The Life of Moses. And in the opening pages of the book, Boyce summarizes Moses' life or his character by dividing his life into three time periods. He says this, sorry, this is not up here, but Boyce says this, Moses spent 40 years in Egypt learning something. Then he spent 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing. Finally, he spent the last 40 years of his life proving God to be everything. Boyce goes on to say that this basically summarizes the Christian life. And he says this, some of us do not prove God to be everything because we've never learned that we are nothing. Moses, the man of God, Realized God was everything toward the latter and most important chapter of his life. But he had to learn that he was nothing. So friends, no matter what stage of life you're in, there's still time. Time to realize that God is everything. And so maybe we're at a moment in life right now learning a lot of things about ourselves, our families, our community. Or maybe, just maybe, we're in the desert right now. Learning that we are nothing. Humbled because it feels like we're losing everything. It took Moses his entire life to realize that God was everything. And so take heart, friends. Turning back to Psalm 90, what is Moses doing? Well, he's giving Israelites hope. Psalm 90 verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. That phrase, dwelling place, is translated as refuge or trust. However, however, one commentary says the Hebrew word goes even deeper than that. You see, Moses is not just giving God's people a simple generalization of refuge found in God, which is a profound truth. But the word dwelling place here is better translated as home. Therefore, Moses begins his prayer with, Lord, you have been our home in all generations. You see, to Moses and God's people, they knew what it was like to be without a home. He led God's people out of slavery for 40 years in the desert. And so Moses and all of God's people would take comfort in Psalm 90. This might sound strange for some of us who are not as transient But to a people wandering for 40 years, Psalm 90 gives us the promising hope that God's people needed at the time. So imagine, in Moses' day, wandering 40 years without a place to call home. But they have a home. Psalm 90 tells us that his home is in God himself. That this home is in God Himself. Psalm 90 tells us that this life is temporary. But God is the forever home. You know, when we first moved to the office, there are times in the night where you just sort of get homesick and you get sad. I, I would get sad, and sometimes I'll just cry, and I'll be like, man, I, I really miss home. And so, this, this psalm, this Psalm 90, I, w- I would just open Psalm 90 in the middle of the night. And I would just read it. I would just pray it. I was reminded time and time again that life is temporary, and that really there really is no permanent home here on this side of heaven. You ever watch these home builder shows and the builder interviews the families, and they refer to their newly renovated home, house, or renovated house as their forever home. And these homes, they have four bedrooms, three bathrooms, chef's kitchen, brand new hardwood floors, etc. Right? Nothing against remodeling your home or renovating your house or buying a house. It's all good. But just remember, that's a temporary home. When you walk through your doors today, that's a temporary home. Because for those who put their trust in God, we have a home. We actually have a forever home. And he is God. And in this forever home, there will be no more pain or suffering. There will be no more illness or death. There will be no more goodbyes. This home will never be destroyed by pandemics. This home will never be destroyed by even war. For God's people, for all of us, we share one, Eternal home. Moses knew nothing compares to the forever home found in God. That's the hope found in book four. And so hold on to that hope. Because now it gets louder and louder. Let me get to the last and final book, book five. The way of the blessed in Psalm 1 is on the path to praise. And the blessed sons and daughters of God will praise and praise and praise. And so that's the theme in book five, praising God into eternity. Psalms 146 to 150 are like a crescendo, louder and louder. The Psalter goes from suffering in the dark nights of the soul found in book one to praise in book five. And so that's all of Psalms. Really, that's all of life if you think about it. We get older. This human life may get harder. But I can assure you, the righteous path for the believer gets sweeter and sweeter because it ends with God. And it gets louder. Look at Psalm 150, verses 3 to 5. Look at this loud praise. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. We bring on the dancing, bring on the noise. Imagine the glorious celebration that awaits us. The reminder found in the Psalms that life is hard. Life will be hard for those who trust in God and that we will suffer maybe we'll be constantly wandering, or wondering if God is there. We will lament. But friends, we lament with hope. You know, one day, those who believe in God will close their eyes one last time here on earth. And we will open our eyes to the God of Israel. We will open our eyes to the God of King David. The God of Psalm 23, the Great, she- the great Shepherd. We will... Ch- see that truly God is good to his people as Asaph did, finally. We will see the God of Moses in Psalm 90, the everlasting God. We will see Jesus. In fact, it's this Jesus who actually lived out the Psalter in the flesh. Think about this. It was Jesus who was the one and true innocent sufferer. It was Jesus who sought only to do God's will. Not my will, but yours. He perfectly obeyed the Father's will until the very end. He trusted in God at the world's darkest hour. And he waited patiently, understanding God's plan for humanity. Jesus offered hope to all of us through his death and resurrection. And friends, this man, Jesus, is worthy of our praise. So again, when all is said and done, after we take our last breath here on earth, we will open our eyes and Jesus will say, you are home. And he will, we will be embraced with his loving arms. The everlasting home that we all hope for in this life will now be a reality. So the Psalms teach us pain and praise, teaches us about death and life. And that life is like a box of chocolates, but the sweetest and most beautiful life is found in God. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the Psalms as a whole and all the many Psalms that we've gone through, or this church has gone through over the summer, maybe expose just a lot of things in our lives, a lot of the emotions that we're feeling from any given moment. But Father, my prayer is that it exposes really our, our hearts and that how much we need you, how much we need to go to you in our suffering and in our pain, and that this life is, won't be easy, that there will be many ups and downs in this life. But Father, you are there. And even though we feel like we may not be holding on to you, the great reminder that you constantly give us is that you're holding on to us time and time again, even when we don't feel it. So let us not trust in ourselves, but to trust in you, the hope found in Jesus Christ. Lord, let us look forward to that day where we one day praise you that we'll be feasting in the halls of Zion together forever and ever in our forever home. In Jesus' name, amen.